0: Hey there, you're listening to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast, your source for everything sport nutrition related. Thanks for joining us today in episode five. Dina and I come together and have a nice little chat and review 2021 in terms of kind of what we've seen, the more popular sport nutrition guidelines, practices, things that kind of popped up on our radar and become a little bit more important or things that athletes are really talking about a little bit more. So specifically, Dean and I will be chatting about wearables and technology in terms of biomarker tracking, how you use some of these things, should you use some of these things, and more importantly, what do we do with the data? So in terms of data also, we're going to be talking about blood biomarker testing, genetic and nutrigenomic testing, and how that can actually serve a positive impact in your health and nutrition journey. We're going to be discussing cautions around making dramatic shifts in dietary patterns, such as following a a keto diet, a vegan diet, like really outside the bell-shaped curve and jumping with jumping in with two feet uh, without really doing a lot of research and consulting or consulting a nutrition professional prior to doing that. We're going to also be discussing moving more from the mantra of lean and thin to more strong and powerful and some misconceptions around what body composition means, truly means for health and performance. We'll be discussing the new, the growth of nutrition recommendations that are specific to the female athlete. This is a very popular subset of nutrition these days. And the, even in the past few years, a lot more research is being done on the female athlete. A lot more practitioners are discussing it and athletes are getting some confusing messaging. So we're going to be discussing that a little bit. Also discussing the aging athlete and nutrition recommendations regarding the aging athlete, what's coming, what has been uh, done in the past, because this is another huge area of nutrition, not only education, but also research. And lastly, does medium chain triglyceride supplementation actually help brain health and cognitive functioning? there are a few different types of these MCTs. And unfortunately, I think a lot of consumers, a lot of athletes are a little bit in the dark uh, because marketing likes to focus on a couple of things versus the science. So Dean and I are going to come together and discuss those topics and would love for you to stay on, enjoy this episode. If you do have a sport nutrition question for us, we would love to answer that on a future episode. So please just shoot us an email at hello at insidesportsnutrition.com. And you can find me at energyperformance.com. That's E-N-R-G performance.com. And give a shout out to Dina at nutritionmechanic.com. That is www.nutritionmechanic.com. Thanks for listening. And here's to a great end of 2021.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast. I'm Dina Griffin. I'm here with my co-host, Bob Sebahar. How are you doing today, Bob?
0: I am absolutely fantastic, Dina. How about yourself today?
1: Doing well. We're wrapping up the end of the year. Can you believe it?
0: It is, I mean, extremely hard to believe. I I was talking to my wife about this and literally we don't know where 2021 went. Literally, it's been so fast and I I don't even know why. I mean, this is probably the the fastest year that's gone by uh, in in quite some time for me.
1: You know what, Bob? My dad always used to say, you know, you're getting older when you only talk about the weather or how fast time goes. And I I always thought, oh, yeah, yeah. And now that I feel that even more, like, oh, shoot, this year... Breeze by, I'm like, oh, sh- I'm just getting yes. older.
0: <laughs> yes, it's it's very true. I mean, obviously, we're all aging, but it's very true, right? If you you yeah. look at the topics that you discuss, it it really is. And you know, I I work a lot with younger individuals also, and you know, I I, I catch the different phrases that I'm using versus what they're using, and it's it is quite different. But um, yeah, yeah we do talk about the weather and the acceleration of time quite a bit.
1: <laughs> yes, well, along those lines, Bob, today we are going to talk about our 2021 in review. So you and I have come together to reflect a bit on this past year, the work we do, the things that we're seeing in the field of sports nutrition and and trends or fads or things that might be a little shocking or just have been emerging more and more. So as everyone here is closing in on their year, you know, you think of your your past year and how it's gone and what's coming up for the next year. And so you and I, Bob, are going to talk about our review of various trends and things along those lines and sort of our end of year theme for the show. Uh, So I'm, I'm pretty excited to dive into that. And yeah, I think were-
0: it's going to be super helpful for listeners just to get our perspective, right? Because there's there's a lot that floats around in nutrition and sport nutrition and I mean honestly, you know, now versus, you know, back even when I started as a as a registered dietitian, sport dietitian, it's it's so much more difficult these days to keep your finger on the pulse with what's going on, right? So back in the days it was a lot easier. So hopefully, you know, our our tips of of what we've been noticing and kind of what we're seeing for the next year will really help our and benefit our listeners.
1: Yeah, and it's different every year, although some of the things that you and I have decided on to, you know, chat about today, I would say these things come and go or they resurface uh, or just evolve, right? And that's part of the science and the field that emerges and how things like this go, right? We're always kind of seeing (laughs) different uh, layers or different aspects of a trend, emerge. So
0: absolutely. Bob,
1: do you want to just start us off?
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's fine. Let me start you off by saying this first. I was listening to another podcast by, uh, with, and they were interviewing a really well-known, um, protein researcher, um, whom, whom we're going to hopefully have on our podcast in 2022, but he he said it so eloquently because he's been in the field for about as long as we have. And, and he said, you know, way back when he said, every time I would go to a conference, you know, a, a research conference, nutrition conference, he said, carbohydrates were always discussed. It was always carbohydrates, glycogen carbohydrate. And then he said, then we took a little time off of that. And then we introduced fat and then we started talking about fat and fat loading and fat oxidation, all this stuff. And then he said, and then we kind of went back to protein, right? And that's, he said, this is kind of where we're at with protein. And and the reason I'm bringing this up is because everything falls in cycles in the nutrition field. Mm -hmm. right? Now for this first one, that may be an exception because the first one that I've seen really, really popping up quite well is utilizing technology with wearables, right? So providing us some biometric data in all of these wearables. and, And we didn't have that technology You know, 20 years ago, right? It was, it was heart rate monitors basically. So I think one of the things that I'm seeing really grow and a lot of athletes are moving towards this. It's using wearables. We're talking about CGMs, continuous glucose monitors, sweat patches. HRV with either a ring or your watch or a heart rate monitor, or even just a finger on a phone to track your HRV, your heart rate variability, um, Apple watches. I mean, there's so many things we can wear these days. There are running pods. To, I mean, there, there are so many things. I think one, a lot of athletes are using this, but I don't know if they know why they're using it. right? And, right. and here's, my, here's my, my feedback on it. I think it's great to learn more about the human body I just don't know if the science is really there to give us as much data as we're wanting, right? And I'm, I'm certainly not poo-pooing it. If you're gonna wear a ring or a watch and you've got some data or O2 saturation or your sleep patterns, I think that's tremendously beneficial. But here's the thing, well, you know what technology, it advances every year. I mean, look at all the iPhones, look at all these phones coming on the computers, like every single year, there's something new, isn't there? For so sure. yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm seeing, I, I love it to death, but I just, I mean, obviously the science is still catching up with this, right? I mean, are you seeing this a lot with your athletes?
1: Oh, yes. I think, uh, you know, the number of gizmos and gadgets people are purchasing and, uh, you know, I've been participating in some of this too, just to see what it is going on with my own body and then learn, you know, what our athletes are looking at as well. But Mm -hmm. to your point, Bob, I mean, the science and the technology does evolve pretty quickly. And I think um, for all of us trying to not forget, we still have our brains and our, what we know, and some of these devices really, you know, maybe in whatever number of years will replace some of our brain thought and function. But I, I'm all for still applying our own eyeballs and <laughs> yes, <laughs> logic absolutely. to some of these things and not relying too much yet on right. all of the gadgets to dictate our next movement or our yeah. next well, vision.
0: And, and here's the thing too, if I can put my coaching hat on really quick, I've got a lot of athletes using HRV, right? So mm-hmm. either a ring or a watch based or what, whatnot. And, and it's great. Like it really helps you get to know what's going on in your body. But with HRV specifically, a lot of athletes will let that number dictate their training for the day, which is sometimes great, uh, and it's sometimes not so great, right? So sometimes they're letting that red or green, that high or low really say, ooh, well, maybe I should or shouldn't train, or maybe I shouldn't do this. Uh, Like I said, a lot of it is very beneficial, but I think how I would wrap this up is... I don't know if, if we, you know, including all athletes, but ourselves also, I don't know if we really know how to use all this data yet. Right. And I think that's like collecting data is great, but as, as you know, Dina, like, I don't like to test unless I'm going to use the data. Right. So I just think we're a little behind in how we use the data with all this great technology.
1: Yes. And being careful not to get too wrapped up into what the data show and forget how we actually feel. Um, yes. So yeah, I think, I think the tech is super fascinating and I know a couple of the things you mentioned, like the CGM and HRV, a couple of these things we have planned to delve into further in future episodes um, because some of it is totally legit and applies to our nutrition strategies to a point, right? So yep. uh, we'll be delving into a few more of these, but it's definitely a hot item these days. Absolutely. And along those lines, Bob, uh, just seeing gizmos and tech, I'm thinking of testing services uh, like blood biomarker testing. Mm -hmm, It's mm -hmm. so much, you know, much more common these days to see advertisements on social, uh, you know, wherever your ads pop up, I guess, depending on what you're looking on at the internet. But um, blood testing for athletes Mm -hmm. is a pretty you know, it's taken over some of the market now for testing services. Have you been seeing that as well?
0: Well, I tell you, you know, back when we were going through school, I remember this vividly because, you know, we, as dietitians, we have to do clinical rotations during our internship, right? And because that's most registered dietitians will take that clinical role. um, And and, and obviously you have to learn about labs and, and TPN, like all these, all these things, right? I remember back in the days, you know, one of the, one of the instructors or maybe it was one of my preceptors said, you better really get to know how to interpret labs. And back then I was like, why? What? And then I and then I got it. Like they put you in the in the hospital and you do your internship and you're like, oh, I totally get it. This is so important. But when I was interpreting those, and, and granted, this is a clinical setting, and then you start doing it like I started doing it with athletes when I got out of the clinical, you know, internship. We didn't, you know, what did we have? We had a CBC, we had a basic blood lipid panel. You were lucky to get cortisol. Like we just didn't Mm -hmm. know about all of these other biomarkers, but I mean, we, we like the medical field knew about them, but we didn't test them because I guess the, the application and the popularity just wasn't there yet with athletes. Right. And it, like I saw back then a lot of like, if you wanted to really delve into biomarker testing beyond the basics, you really had to find that physician that was not only willing to do it. But you had to pay a lot of out of pocket because insurance wouldn't cover it, right? So right. these days, I, I think it's fantastic that it's made more available. However, it, it is also causing quite a bit of confusion with the athletes, right? So it's kind of the, the, the both sides, both sides of the sword. You don't know which side you're gonna get because you've got all this great data. But then I've been like, I have athletes, literally Dina, that, that ask me, hire me to interpret the data that they've had tested, even if someone else has, has interpreted or if it was part of a software package or whatever. So I I still, I think it's, it's fantastic. And literally, I mean, with biomarker testing, I am all for it. I do it a couple of times a year on myself. And and obviously as our listeners know, I do quite a bit of end of one experiment. So I kind of need to do that, but I do promote it. But I would just be be forewarned and just be careful on how you're using that data and how you interpret it.
1: Right, a lot of it needs to be looked at from a trend perspective. Yes, um, so that's really important. We have to keep in mind, depending on the testing service that we're using, is it context appropriate? So. Mm-hmm the recommendations being given or lack thereof, right? If it's right. perhaps a physician who isn't sports minded and says, oh, you're totally fine, everything's in normal limits mm-hmm. or ranges. Yeah. Uh I, I would just be careful or have a second set of eyes, you know, right. that someone who is sport-minded, nutrition-minded, dietitian-minded, right?
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: because there there can be extensive cash spent on some of these testing services, looking at blood biomarker results.
0: Yes.
1: And, and you just want to make sure you're getting the right recommendation and that that's being monitored. It's not just a one-time thing that you do every yeah. five years.
0: It's a good point. I'm mean, in fact, I just did this consultation on an athlete who had his biomarker test. It's kind of an extensive package he he went through. Which was just great, a lot of great data, but he got it and, he's, and he called me up and He said, "Well, I don't know." Like it, it gives me, you know, red light, green light, whatever, or high or low or what. And, and he actually started becoming a little uncomfortable because he saw a lot of reds, right, a lot of out of ranges, as we would call them. And he said, "I don't know what to do with that about this." He wasn't freaking out, but it was, it was pretty close. He's like, "I'm a little bit alarmed." And so I started going over it and I explained to him when we were sitting down and looking at his labs, it said, okay, just because this is in the red, it actually interacts. Like there are so many interactions, Mm -hmm. like just because if you're high or low in whatever marker it is, vitamin B12 or magnesium, like it's not about one nutrient, right? All these nutrients interact in our body. So there are trends like you were saying, but, you know, just because vitamin B12 might be high or low. We have to look at other interactions in the body, and I think even these days with with COVID and the pandemic, I think we've started to see some research papers being published on the association of vitamin D and COVID. Right? And yes, fortunately or unfortunately, call it what it is, a lot of athletes I've seen they just they start jumping in. And they're like, and they don't even measure the vitamin D sometimes, Dina. Right? It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, I got word of this paper. Usually, you know, it's the conclusions in, in social media. And, oh, I should just start supplementing vitamin D at high doses because it, maybe it helps prevent COVID or getting COVID, right? Right. right. But we don't know, like there are other things, other body systems that are interacting.
1: Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think blood biomarker testing is one of the cheapest tests that we can do. Like you get a lot of bang for your buck. However, we do need just kind of summarizing this one, you know, we need to make sure what we're doing as a result of those, um, tests and the recommendations that it is context appropriate, uh, mm-hmm. if we are starting supplementation that's monitored and we have the right kind of supplement, um, and so forth. But yeah. I am a big proponent as well of blood biomarker testing. We just need to keep in mind some of the cautions around it.
0: Absolutely, and I think to piggyback on that, which is kind of under the same umbrella but a little different, is is the nutrigenomics, the gene testing, the gene variations, and different nutrition strategies. So now we're seeing a lot of these companies pop up and doing genetic testing, genomic testing, and you know, luckily we've uh, sat down with a great guest, which you guys will will hear soon about all things nutrigenomics, which is basically how nutrient nutrition and nutrients interact with your genes to influence different things being you know, kind of turned on or off a little bit more or less in the body, but I'm seeing a huge increase in this nutrigenomics testing, which is usually a saliva test, right? It's an at-home test. You get a kit, you spit in a tube, you send it back. It's, it's great. Like, I love it. I do a lot of that in my practice, Stina, because it helps, ju- it just helps me understand and helps me help an athlete understand how all of their body systems are interacting from their genetic perspective. Like, so if you've got these little, you know, I I won't let the cat out of the bag yet regarding what we're going to be talking about on our nutrigenomics episode, but we've got these, what we call spelling errors on genes. And as an example, if you have a spelling error on your vitamin D pathway or metabolic pathway, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, right? Because there are workarounds in nutrition. Right. So there are ways that we look at calcium, we look at you know, vitamin D, we look at iron, we look at all these different biomarkers, uh, in, in addition, you know, more in the genomic package. And then and this actually helps me create a better nutrition strategy for athletes because now we know what's going on, not only from a blood standpoint, biomarker, but also now these genomics. So this is up and coming. Again, there's a ton of confusion on how you use the data too. Right. So we've got this great technology. And we've got this graded testing, and we actually do get really good information. But what's lacking right now are the professionals who can help athletes interpret it,
1: translating the results to action.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But
1: to to what you're saying, this nutrigenomic uh, testing, and what do we do with our nutrition to support what our genes say, or what those misspellings are? Mm -hmm. um, This is taking personalized nutrition. Like to the ultimate level. And I think this is what a lot of us are wanting. Like, I'm done with the cookie cutter stuff and I can get Mm -hmm. my blood tested, but really let me learn a lot more about my own genes. Yes. Um, Because that is like, it is the ultimate in figuring out what does my body need and, you know, what do I need
0: to change? Absolutely. And, and as a quick example, too, you know, I'm, I'm married, I have three kids, um, just about all of us in my family have gone through this nutrigenomic testing, because I maybe it's just me being a geek, I want to know what my genomics are. And my wife's genomics and then you know obviously we created offspring so Mm -hmm. now i want to know what my kids are working with or we're working against right because it actually helps me direct their nutrition a little bit more also so you know for the parents out there maybe be thinking not only about yourself but also your kids once they get into teenage years you know we can have this test done very very easily and you know the good thing about this genomic testing it's a one and done right i mean Our genes aren't aren't changing, so you you and it's actually fairly inexpensive for a one and done Mm -hmm. test, right? So you get it done once, yeah. Yeah. Get a lot of bang for your buck with this. So it it is super super beneficial. We just need to, like you said, I think the translation in in many ways, you know, pun intended, with the whole gene transcription and everything. I think the translation is is really really important here.
1: Oh, Bob! I can't wait for our listeners to hear that episode that we have recorded on nutrigenomics. It is so fascinating.
0: Yeah, it'll really make make you guys think, uh, guys and girls, think about nutrition a little bit differently. Yeah, uh, yeah. especially relating to how you how you are made, right? Not, right. Not even how you grew up, but really how you're made, how you're put together. Right. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Bob, let's move on to another area here in our 2021 review. This one might ruffle a few feathers, but let's chat about it. Uh, so, something I have seen more and more from active and athlete, athletic people is a switch in their nutrition pattern to either, you know, key, keto or the low carb, high fat, or perhaps the vegan pattern, just going like flipping the switch. I'm going all in without really doing some of the research and education to see, you know, what, what do I need to know about this plan that could affect nutrient deficiency or energy availability or some of these other things that in, you know, down the road short or long haul could affect health and performance. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of a pain point for me because it is, it's, I I love working with athletes who are engaging in that, but I I like to work with athletes before, like in that discussion of, well, I'm thinking of this. What, what are your thoughts? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll just, I'll just launch with some stories really quick. And, and I know, you know, this Dina, but I was a vegetarian, not full vegan, but I was a vegetarian for 10 years back in the early 2000s. And I really had no reason why. Like it wasn't ethical, it wasn't moral. It wasn't. I mean, it really it was, it was really nothing other than I wanted. You know, I was I was a new sport or registered dietitian. I wanted to try it because as a sport dietitian, I was helping athletes. You know, we both live in Colorado. We kind of have a high rate of vegetarianism and veganism. So I wanted to help those athletes, but I wanted to I wanted to you know to kind of touch and feel it too. So I was vegetarian for ten years, and. I'm not going to say I felt great or I felt bad. I I felt like I probably should have felt for 10 years. However, here's and I am not a vegetarian anymore, but I absolutely adore plant-based cooking and plant-based meals. I think they should absolutely fit uh, in in anyone's plan. To be honest with you, but the reason that I change and it's exactly what we've been talking about is. I did biomarker testing. I also did metabolic efficiency testing and I and I do you'll, you guys will do an episode on my story and and I did a little end of one experiment that's going to really be shocking for some of you. Uh, but what I what I found that genetically, I don't have, you know a great deck of cards in terms of some biomarkers. So I did the testing, you know pre so when I was vegetarian. And then for four weeks, I kind of went off the vegetarianism and I introduced meat again and cheeses and all that great stuff. And then I did testing again at the end of the four weeks and the results were so shocking Dina and not only metabolic efficiency. I mean, I knew what I was going to see from a metabolic efficiency standpoint. I knew Mm -hmm. I would be oxidizing more fat because I balanced out my blood sugar, better, better protein contribution. But what I found from a biomarker blood work standpoint, it shocked me so much from a positive standpoint. It turned me into saying, you know what, maybe for my body, this is not a good plan of being fully vegetarian or fully vegan or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think as I alluded to, I did a little kind of an LCHF, low carb, high fat experiment earlier this year that we're going to launch into an episode in 2022 that will kind of talk about more of that really more aggressive you know, lower carbohydrate diet in the wise, but also more importantly, biomarker testing. So I think my, my takeaway from this is if you're going to do this, I mean, obviously I would love for, for our listeners, if you're thinking about this, especially it's almost the new year, please talk to a qualified sport dietitian because we can really help guide you. But I always, always recommend some type of biomarker genomic testing prior to doing this. So we see what's going on, like kind of pop in the hood and we can actually direct you in terms of maybe seeing, maybe even saying, maybe this isn't, maybe we don't go full vegan. Maybe it's a little more vegetarianism. Maybe it's not full keto. Maybe it is LCHF, right? Do you agree with that?
1: I do. I think, you know, at the heart of this is really understanding the why behind doing a switch that can be pretty radical, could be pretty restrictive, So really delving in deep before you make that switch to understand what it is you expect, what are the reasons to go vegan or keto or fill in the blank um, diet, because there is a lot of confusion and there can be some things that you just need to be strategic about and know in advance, you're going to have to eat more of this kind of food or we've got to monitor every four months in the beginning. Because uh-huh. you do have these risks, um, is it done at the right time of the year? Is this you know? So I think it's it's asking a lot of questions and really making it clear to yourself. Uh, it all comes down to education, and I think having that extra set of eyeballs, scientifically uh-huh. or professionally, in the realm of nutrition it's just guarantee or a better guarantee that you're not compromising your health or compromising what it is you want to achieve athletically.
0: Exactly. You know, I just want to highlight one thing you said that's super important. It probably got lost in the conversation, but if you are thinking about doing something like this, please, that the most basic thing, please monitor yourself in just like you said, Adina, like the first three, four, five months, please monitor. And I'm not talking how do I feel. I mean, obviously that, that subjective is very, very important, but objective. Maybe you have in 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 maybe a six-month process or time frame, you have two biomarker, two blood work sessions that you're doing, maybe a nutrigenomics in the beginning, right? Just make sure you have those markers because. Uh, Again, I I probably would still be vegetarian right now, Dina, if I had not done biomarker testing Mm -hmm. to see, looking, kind of looking at what cards I was dealt. Right. And that's really what, what made me change my mind. So I was able to, to kind of objectively change my nutrition habits based on the biomarker testing, which is basically all the objective data that you can get on yourself.
1: Right. And I mean, just to add to that before we move on to the next one, I think there are some things that can't be measured. Right Mm -hmm. through blood biomarker testing. So I think immediately of energy availability for athletes. So switching to a more, I'm just gonna say more restricted diet, even though we Mm -hmm. know vegan and keto to a point, you know, we can make it less restrictive, but there's a point where aside from what blood biomarker testing shows, we have to just look at total energy calories or kilocalories Mm -hmm. coming into the body and what's being expended and depending on the level of athlete if we're already uh restricted to a degree with the choices that we have that can down the road and I can't say exactly when this happens it could be 5 months 8 months who knows but down the road systems of the body can get negatively impacted and Absolutely. so we may feel fantastic for the first 6 months doing fill in the blank diet Uh, or dietary pattern, but Mm -hmm. it's that down the road where things break down. And that's you know, where I start sweating a little bit more.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good, uh, kind of a good lead into the next one because it's, you know, it's the end of 2021. We're moving into the New Year's resolution time for 2022, talking about, I mean, this, obviously this is a time, well, not not now, but i mean very soon in a few, in a few days, athletes are thinking, what do I do for 2022? Do I change my nutrition? Do I maybe do more of a restricted plan and, or, or whatever it is, right? And I think there's also that, obviously with that, it's, it's more of that lean and thin mentality, right? Changing body composition, but maybe it's too lean, too thin, right? I mean, I think we're starting to get into that time. So what, what, what are your thoughts regarding this whole lean and thin versus maybe strong and powerful?
1: I think Bob, we are right in the middle now, or almost to the middle of this movement to Mm -hmm. Change mindset, change beliefs around what the body looks like, what the body composition is um, that core that causes. I'm going to say causes mm-hmm. better performance. And instead, we're trying to now have that focus on strength and power, and moving away from what the ideal was, because that was an ideal, like the thin ideal or this, you know, lean and thin ideal. That we have to look that way in order to be a competitive athlete or to be even a recreational athlete, a certain percentage of body weight. And so now with a number of the stories that emerged this year from Nike and some of the other pro athletes and Olympians, um, I mean, those are high-level athletes, but it's case in point that uh driven by a certain number on the scale or a certain percent body fat can actually cause, you know, harm to health and harm Mm -hmm. to performance goals. And so I think this just impetus for all, um, you know, women and and men or male and female athletes to really reconsider, rethink this. uh, If your goals are set on a body composition, I just question where that comes from. And are Mm -hmm. are we actually, you know, feeding the machine instead of trying to make this shift and Bob, when you were talking earlier about your kids and you know the mm-hmm. nutrigenomic piece and helping them, I think this is also important as adults is how are we influencing the youth, the next mm-hmm. generations by our drive to be skinny and lean and whatever shape and size is letting some of that go. And it's time to switch all that up, not only for ourselves, but for the sake of the next generations.
0: Absolutely. I think that's very important. And, and I, I think it, it, it also depends. I mean, we're looking at population too, but we're also looking at different sports, right? So we know there's endurance sports and strength and power, and there are aesthetic sports where Uh, you know, athletes are graded sometimes on aesthetics. I think it's, it's really important. And and I know you probably do very similar, Dina, but when, when an athlete comes to me and they say, you know, my primary goal is weight loss or body composition, I I always ask them, you know, inquisitively, why, you know, what is that driving factor behind it? Is it aesthetic? Is it health? Because I really look at the health before I look at performance, right? We want to check all those boxes and you get biomarker testing and just make sure everything is functioning, especially as we're aging, obviously, right. For all the aging athletes out there, which all of us are right. But you know, when you get to 34 years old, you really want to pay more attention to this, but I do, I personally like to make it a little less common of a, quantitative goal let's put it that way now that said for, for body composition or body weight and, and and you and i both know which we share with athletes you know you step on the scale what does it really do it it, it just basically tags your self-esteem or self-confidence because it doesn't give you any usable information it really doesn't right. if you unless right. you're doing sweat rate testing you know before and after right. to see how much fluid you're losing but even body composition i mean i remember when i was in my undergrad and in first grad in exercise science and physiology and hydrostatic weighing and in, you know, we had caliber and calipers is something we always learned, but then we moved into hydrostatic weighing and, you know, then we looked into, we even did body circumference with a cloth tape mm-hmm. measure and then DEXA yeah. came out and then the bod pod came out like all these different things, but here's the thing. They are all inaccurate. They, they really are. Right. So when we're really looking at this, I, I remember one of my professors pro- made a, such a profound statement and, and and it was a female. She said, if you really want to know your true body composition, you have to be dead. Like if you really think of it, cause she said, you have to have your body. You, you have to analyze all the tissues. Like you can't just use a DEXA scan, even though it's, yeah. it is the gold standard. Um, certainly can't use skin folds to be accurate. Right. And, and yeah. for athletes who do get skin folds, just as a usable piece of data here, I, I promote if you're going to use skin folds. Number one, you have to have the same person doing it, same time of the day, same time of the month for female athletes, mm-hmm. right? And you don't use, you don't plug that number. So you usually get millimoles of skin fold thickness depending mm-hmm. on 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 which which method you're using, but you don't plug that into an equation because there are so many equations out there, and you can't, you know, if you're young or old or male or female or whatever. You want to use the millimoles as a, as an objective number. So if I pinch, you know, 10, I'm sorry, millimoles, millimeters. Mm-hmm. If I pinch 10 millimeters on my tricep, well, then next time I do it, if it's at 10, again, guess what? I haven't seen any progress, but it's the whole percentage game that I think we're starting to miss the boat. And in fact, I just think the whole quantitative of our body shape and size I like you, you know, I work with some aesthetic based sports. I work with gymnastics a lot and it, it really is about strength and power and recovery. And, you know, back to your point of kind of circling the back and even low energy availability, like if you don't have enough energy on, in, in, on board, essentially, you're not going to be strong and powerful. So if you do have more of a, a frail physique, which is even though it's lean and thin and it may look, I don't even, I don't even want to say good, Dina, it no. may look there really isn't a word to describe that because lean and thin to me looks a little bit sickly, if you will, right I mean that's strong and powerful is is really it for males and females, and especially if they're if they're athletes, and this is obviously who we're talking about right yeah, yeah
1: I think I think our language is changing too, right, yeah. Bob, so us as coaches um nutrition professionals, we really need to be role models here in the language we're using and what it is we are helping athletes to achieve or guiding them. And I'm not saying we should totally discount what a body is, but Mm -hmm. the whole framing of this is, is changing. And so I think it's exciting and it's long overdue.
0: Yeah. And I think we just need to drop the whole grading of the way our body uh, is, is not, not looks, but the whole grading of if the scale says this or the pin, you yeah. know, the skin calipers say this, then I am a good or bad person. That's just right. that we should we we should we are as you mentioned, but we should really get away from that mantra and look more at the whole health and really just how our body functions as we age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so,
1: that could be this topic right here. Bob could be a whole other episode oh in and of itself. Absolutely. But, yeah. Well, I'm going to take us into another area here in our review, Bob of 2021 and our, our list of trends and things that are on our radar, uh, female athletes. So, I mean, this this is a big one. I know. And it's not brand new, right? This has been building and growing over the last at least five years. I'd say maybe a little bit more Um, But just looking through a different lens at what female athletes need through the whole lifespan Uh um, and appreciating that the body of research has largely been, you know, in sports science and nutrition science, um, especially sport nutrition, right, has been on young collegiate age men. Uh And so this whole lens of actually, you know, how do female sex hormones affect our needs, either from a training perspective, recovery, the nutrition, the hydration. And so this is super exciting um, to be a part of and really look at and, you know, quick teaser that we'll have a few guests coming up in 2022 talking about this specifically. But I would say in general here for for the female athletes out there is if you're not aware of some of this emerging um, change going on in nutrition strategies, no matter if you're 70, 80, or 30, I mean, there's a lot Mm -hmm. here that is being applied specifically to the female athlete
0: Absolutely. It, it it's funny, Dan and you mentioned those ages really quick. And I think, you know, as we all age, we're thinking, okay, things are changing. We need to kind of get in tune with our body. I, I literally just gave a presentation to collegiate athletes, female collegiate athletes yesterday. And I was so impressed because I always usually launch my presentation on asking, you know, what, what do you want to learn? What you know, let's let's make this an open slate. And one of the questions was, and, and I never, I've never received this from that age category before. She asked how does my menstrual cycle affect my nutrition and physical performance? Mm-hmm. And I was blown back Dina, because again, I had just not seen that young of an athlete yet really be interested. If, if you want to put it that way in how the menstrual cycle and all the associated hormones do affect the performance. So it is, it is hot. Like we we've, we've known it in, like you said, in the past five years, I'll even say when I started in sport nutrition, this is you know twenty plus years ago, I I always question. I never did anything with it because you can't. You're not a researcher, PhD. But I always question because all these you know as you're learning about carbohydrate metabolism and all these different things, protein, fat, I just started to notice why am I reading with all the all these all these research uh, studies with male subjects. Right. And I just started scratching my head. And, you know, back then it was kind of like, you know, the whole GI distress. Oh, if it happens, it happens kind of thing. And that's what it was that it's, Hey, that's what it, that's what it's, it's, it's been, it has been doing. That's what we're going to continue to do because it's cheap and it's easy. Right. So I, I love the fact that we're moving into this, I guess we could call it a movement where we're almost demanding that data and we're demanding it because we as sport dietitians want those those implementation strategies for females because and we've all oh, we've we actually have always known there are gender differences in nutrition, right? We just mm-hmm. haven't been able to really understand those as much as we're starting to nowadays.
1: Yeah, a lot more research coming out to help us as professionals guide female athletes along the lifespan and within the lifespan. Um, and I think to your story about the athlete asking that question is Mm -hmm. also the ability to ask the question now and Mm -hmm. have these conversations because I mean, some of us that are shy or like embarrassed about talking about periods or menopause and, you know, hot flushes or whatever, like this should be normal conversation and not stigmatized. So,
0: yeah. uh, And I would even say from a male perspective, uh, female listeners, it's okay to talk to males about this too, especially male, you know, sport dietitians, registered dietitians, because this is part of what we want to discuss. And we, we really want to assist in this process. So, you know, sometimes I do see the, oh, you're a male, I'm a female. I don't know if I can have this discussion Mm -hmm. with you. And obviously there are some people you probably shouldn't have that discussion with, but please, please feel like you're saying, Dana, feel more open for our female listeners to have these discussions more and more and more.
1: Yeah. And even, okay, this is a quick digression, but it it irks (laughs) me, Bob, because even women talking to their partners Mm -hmm. about this stuff and the partner is like, oh my God, don't tell, (laughs) don't talk to me about
0: your blood flow or whatever. It's like, but this,
1: this needs to be part of a normal discussion because it's human nature and it's just so natural. So I, you know, it's just, Okay. Where I'm done with that quick. <laughs> okay. but, um...
0: Well, well, a good, a good uh, note, and moving on to the next one, which will really be a nice, uh, tr- uh, little, little progression here. As, as you're mentioning, like aging in general, right? So this has been a hot, hot topic for the past few years. I've seen it really, really come up more this year in 2021, and I, and I think it has to do some with the p- pandemic, and people are at home more, and they're really just they're, they're paying attention, I think, to themselves a little bit more. And I think just this aging, throughout the aging process, each decade, yeah, and and you don't have to define it by decade, but there are different things that happen to us, as you and I have both noted, as, as we go throughout our aging sport continuum and just life continuum, I think this is becoming a really hot topic. And you can separate it, young athlete, master's athlete, you can separate 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I mean, what is, back in the days, we used to basically look at research that had Older athletes, and that was usually over sixty five and then under sixty five right mm-hmm. and that was it. but now we have these different definitions of maybe young athletes are more teens and twenties because we know different hormone cycles are are changing we know that sarcopenia the age related loss of muscle mass is happening we know even from a from a brain and cognitive standpoint, things are changing as we are aging. There are so many hot topics on aging and nutrition right now. It's, I don't even know where to start, but that is definitely one of the most popular ones I've seen pop up in 2021.
1: For sure, Bob. And we'll be exploring that in our future episodes, you know, uh, angles and aspects of aging, because I mean, my goal for all of the athletes that I work with and for myself personally is that we remain fit and active and strong throughout the lifespan and health spans who, or that we, so that we have a longer health span. Yes. And so uh, looking at the nutrition adjustments and some of those nuances as we age, super important. And we'll be delving into that piece more, but I'm curious cause you mentioned some of the other angles and I know you have looked at the, um, some things related to brain health. And so as we age, I mean, not only keeping our bodies strong, but our brains intact and functioning. Yeah. Did you have anything there, Bob, you wanted to add?
0: Yeah, let's, I think this will kind of finish us off for our, our 2021 review. So maybe talking about brain health, right? And cognitive functionings, what one of one of the same, and I'll, I'll use both terms interchangeably, but there, there there seems to be a push into improving cognitive functioning and i think it's more to do with uh performance at work or cognitively you know just just it's not necessarily the whole aging process, which I think we do need to look at, you know, cognitive functioning throughout the aging continuum also, but so many, and, and this is where we're seeing it, you we're seeing it with products, right? I'm seeing all these products pop up, all these supplements from, I mean, you name it from lion's mane to nootropics to um, different yeah. pills, powders, potions, ketones, uh, MCTs, which are medium chain triglycerides. And I just, I just want to touch on that because what we know is number one, blood sugar control does affect brain functioning, right? so I think you and I, our, our focus, our philosophy is really looking number one from the food perspective. How do we balance and optimize blood sugar, which obviously helps all these health parameters in addition to our brain functioning there, there are some, some, I guess you could call it biohacks that people have been really promoting from like the list that I just mentioned. I do just want to mention really quick, cause I, not that I'm an expert in this area, but I've done a lot of research in, into medium chain triglycerides and it's somewhat it's somewhat aggravating sometimes like if i can get on that soapbox because a lot of individuals think that medium chain triglycerides which which are a triglyceride it's a it's a fat right they're stored very differently than than regular fats and long chain fats so there there are short chain medium chain and long chain fatty acids so medium chains actually function very differently in the body. So they're stored closer to the mitochondria, which means you can use them for energy much quicker, very similar to carbohydrates, but still a little bit slower, but they're not as slow as fat and they're not as quick as carbohydrate, but some are, some are really close in the middle. This is really important. And I I really want listeners to kind of listen to this, that do MCTs help with brain health? Well, Yes and no, right? Medium-chain triglycerides can improve your body's ketone production. So ketone is a byproduct of fat. Your brain can actually use ketones for energy, but you have to train it. You have to, it really needs some time to do that. You can't just kind of go off and say, oh, I'm just going to do this right now. And then I'm going to go back to eating the way I am. Like the whole, we have to look at the whole spectrum of your nutrition plan with MCTs. But what I'm seeing is a lot of athletes are jumping on the bandwagon and supplementing with MCT powder. And I'm not going to say that's good or bad. We know MCTs have beneficial effect on cognitive functioning. But really quickly, just so everyone understands this, there are four types of MCTs that are defined by how many carbons they have on their molecular structure. So there's what's called C6, C8, C10, and C12. Those are all of the medium chain triglycerides. So it's in, in, in nutrition science, we, we grade these by the number of carbons on the, on the molecule, right? So not to get too geeky about that, but here's the, here's the take-home message. Some MCTs of the four, some of those four do much better at improving ketone production, which could lead to better cognitive functioning, and some don't. And this is what's aggravating for me is because I see some of these products on the market that say, oh, MCTs, you know, improve brain health, all these great things. And then I look and I I notice what MCTs are in there. And I know it's not one of them that actually positively affects brain health, right? Mm -hmm. It's in there because there are so so many marketing claims behind it, right? So I just want our listeners to know that there are two specific MCTs that do improve the ketone production quite well. And those are C10 and I'm sorry, C8 and C10. So when you're looking at packaging, I think that's kind of the take-home message is it's not about MCT. It's about the type of MCT. Right. Yeah.
1: Bob, I'm just, I'm just thinking of, you know, your point here is educating us on MCTs and, but It ties to the whole thing we've been talking about in this review that we've been doing is educating oneself because, you know, the package or the trend or the thing that your friend's doing, like you really just have to set aside some time and you're worth the time to do this to really learn what is right for you and um, kind of get through some of the mud and the noise. And so I think mm-hmm. for a number of the topics we've been talking about today in our review, it is empowering oneself and to to take some of that education and that knowledge level up.
0: I think so too. And, and, and that's really what it's all about, right? It's not finding that magic pill, powder or potion. It's really about understanding our bodies better and understanding the why behind it, but also then using that why in a very knowledgeable way to impact your health, impact your performance, and really, you know, impact our, our longevity. And that's really kind of what it's all about. Also, isn't it?
1: Yes, for sure. Yeah, that's been fun. Bob, do you have anything else you want to add here in our review before we wrap up?
0: No, I think that covers the 2021. Like you mentioned throughout, I think we've got some really exciting episodes coming up in 2022 that actually highlight, and we'll get into a lot more detail in in actually some of the things that we have discussed today. So I think our listeners will really appreciate that because we'll roll up our sleeves a little bit more.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, I look forward to hanging out with you in the new year, Bob, and thanks for all the listeners. listening in and hopefully this was helpful for you turned on some light bulbs or turn the dimmer up the dimmer switch up a bit Absolutely. Uh, so yeah. yeah thank you everyone we will catch you in the next episode
0: yeah have a great uh, rest of your year a couple days and uh, here's to a strong 2022 guys and girls
1: all right happy new year
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast. We sure hope you enjoyed episode five where Dean and I came together and chatted about our review of different nutrition topics and practices for 2021. Stay tuned for next week's episode where Dean and I chat about supplements. That's This is going to be part one because there's going to be quite a few of these coming uh, in 2022. So be sure to stay tuned, listen to our next episode regarding the basics of supplements, because that will springboard your knowledge and give you the foundation of what we'll be chatting about in future episodes. If you do have a sport nutrition related question, and you would like us to answer it on a future Q&A episode, please send us an email at hello at insidesportsnutrition.com. Be sure to include your full name and obviously your question. We would love your support in promoting our podcast and share with your friends and family and training partners. If you find our information beneficial and our real-life strategies are useful in your quest for improving your health and performance, please visit your podcast platform of your choice. Give us a five-star rating, share it, give us some comments. Really helps us grow and share our content with other listeners around the world. And for information about individual and team nutrition coaching, and physiological and biomarker testing, you can reach out to me at energyperformance.com. That is E-N-R-G performance.com. And you can reach Dina at nutritionmechanic.com. Lastly, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests involved and do not represent a replacement for medical consultation with your doctor. The information and opinions provided here are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or medical condition. This podcast is for information, education, and entertainment purposes only.